Hello again, everybody. This is John Norris at Train Perspectives. As always, we have our good friend Sam Clements. Sam, say hello. Hey, John. You doing okay today? I'm doing awesome. You looking forward to the weekend? I am. Well, how much? I'd give it a 10, really. <laughs> really Fantastic. excited about it. You know, I think you're going to be doing something a lot more interesting, probably a lot more fun than what a lot of our friends in, say, oh, I don't know, Caracas or elsewhere in Venezuela are going to do this weekend. You know, they might be having a little more action than I will this weekend well, with I'm all not the protesting that with the and ten foot pole, but in any but of that, I'm sure a lot of them would want to switch well, the places. Thing is, not you, just me. You're probably not going to be scrounging for food. Probably not. Uh, waiting in line at the ATM to get increasingly worthless scripts of paper out. All we'll see ten thousand dollars turn into two quarters. Well, I mean, they're they're militiamen out there in the wilds of the uh, of the United States that would say we do that anyhow. <laughs> but in reality, the people down in Venezuela have a very are having a very tough time of it by any stretch of the imagination. And Venezuela, while it's down in South America and really kind of out of sight, out of mind for a lot of Americans, Sam, you know darn well they have had an economic hellish time. Horrible. Horrible. I mean, for ever since really this, their president, uh, Nicolas Maduro, yeah. was elected six, seven, initially six or seven years ago, and he coming in on the heels of the very charismatic. That's what we're always told. Charismatic. Yeah, to always her. told how charismatic. You know, Chavez was. Yeah. His predecessor. And yet, after 13 years, I think, of Chavista rule, if not longer than that. I, I think, think it was long. Much longer than that. Now, all of a sudden, Venezuela, which was once the wealthiest country in Latin America, has the largest proven or proved reserves of crude oil, I right. think, in the world. I mean, yeah, you see most countries that have reserves like that are usually, I yeah, mean, they're I mean, starting off on reasonably. second base. <laughs> starting off on uh, third base. Yeah. Starting off on third base. Largest proved reserves in the world through in the Aronica Basin. I mean, should have a lot of stuff going forward. A very well-educated workforce, uh, by certainly by Southern Hemisphere standards. A lot of stuff going forward, and yet its economy has collapsed by, I mean, conservative estimates, Sam, by at least 50% over the last yeah. five years. Yeah, the G, I mean, it's hard to even measure the currency now. They're having trouble really measuring it. Uh, they've moved on to a black market measuring of the currency uh, because I it's mean, just so different from what the government itself is without saying. Without a doubt, and inflation running, by some estimates, 1.3 million yeah, percent. Yeah, 1.7 uh, From what I have read, it's increasingly different, difficult to get decent news out, out of there. Um, from what I have read, three million uh, Venezuelans have yep. fled the country. Yeah, starving. Um, the, I mean, the equivalent would be thirty million, I think, from the United States. Uh, people literally starving. They they have something called the Maduro diet, which in 2017 I haven't seen for 2018. It was uh, people lost on average 18 pounds uh, just because they're not being enough food. Uh, all of this from once the wealthiest country in South America, and really, while nothing has fundamentally changed with the population, one thing has changed. What is that? The nature of their uh, of their economy, and going from a private sector, I mean, private sector, to a public sector controlled right. economy. I mean, the whole oil system's controlled by the government run. I forget the uh, acronym they have for it, but PVDSA. Yeah. I couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to even attempt to pronounce exactly what the acronym stands for. But in any event, this is yet another attempt by socialists, well-meaning people. I mean, what, what Chavez started off doing, very few people couldn't argue with the intention, and that was wealth had become so concentrated in the hands full of a few in Venezuela that the goal was to take from the very rich and give to the poor 
and redistribute wealth in that in, in that manner. Sounds great. It sounds fantastic to some people. To, some, to a lot of people, actually, not the rich mean, people, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. doesn't sound too in general. Too the yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. itself, everybody and, being a little more well off for the yeah. people that weren't well off, yeah. sounds great. Well, and, and and that's that's the whole issue. It's it's hard to ro- to argue with a Robin Hood. You know, growing up, we we uh, were taught that while capitalism was good in the United States, Robin Hood was an altruistic, right. well-meaning person. The sheriff of Nottingham was all, was all. You're just evil you know, if you're on the yeah. wrong side of Robin yeah, Hood, and, right? And King John of you know Lackland. It was just it was a horrible guy. All of this stuff. But all of a sudden, here we have it in theory, while all this is good to take from the very rich and give to the very poor, in theory, Sam, it's beautiful. Well, that's where you start digging yourself in a hole, I think. And this is the difference between theory and the abstract and theory and practice. Well, Mao probably thought his theory worked pretty well. Well, I mean, and and, in some regards, it did. This is where we have to figure out what the definition of success is when we try to redistribute wealth from one means of production, uh, from one group to another. Yeah. And so if the definition of success, take, take the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917. If the de- definition of success for the Bolsheviks was control of the uh, of the government and the ultimate redistribution of wealth from the very rich and the aristocracy and bourgeois classes to the government then it was a, a smashing good success if the goal of the great leap forward was to finally abolish all private property in china it worked out great if the goal in Kampuchea, Khmer Rouge's Pol Pot, all those guys, right. if the goal was to take a country back to the Stone Age, it was fantastic. All of these were absolutely wonderful successes. However, I would argue that, you know, what they were really looking for was not necessarily just that. It was to steal or take the means of production and capital from the very rich and keep it for the government and therefore themselves. Someone's got to keep it. Someone's got to keep it. So all these best intentions, we're going to take from the rich and give to the poor. Make no mistake about it. The means of production and capital, Sam, in any of these economies, any of these countries, it just simply changed hands. It never went to the many. It's still controlled by the few. Your thoughts on that, Sam? It's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I would consider success, I mean, you look at the long-term success of those countries, of those governments, as well as even measurements of just average citizens' welfare yeah. over that time period. Um, I mean, if if people's general welfare is all going up or the average of the citizen and the economy's mm-hmm. doing well, surviving, yeah. that's successful. But if people are dying earlier, if people are getting sick, yeah. you know, the average welfare of a citizen's going down and the government ends up crumbling, it's hard to call that a success. <laughs> it was successful for a little while, at least. Right. It worked out brilliantly, and everyone felt good about themselves, or at least those people that were still alive felt good about themselves, because look at what all they've done for the public good. And this this kind of takes us to really sort of the, the crux of the matter. Obviously, this week, if you've been reading anything BBC or reading sort of any international news, uh, I'm going to butcher this man's name. Um, our country... The administration um, announced its recognition of Guaido. Guaido, who is Juan the, Guaido. Juan Guaido. Uh, that's kind of a who he is. He is the head of the National Assembly. Okay, which, which is, is 
I don't know what to compare it to, but basically, in a sense... Sort of the he, Congress, he, I think. He, sure, but he would be like the Speaker of the House, okay, per se. Okay, yeah. He comes into power if there is no president at the time. So his claim is not that I'm just better than Maduro. Maduro. It's, it's that, that Maduro stole the election. It, that it, He was not fairly elected, so therefore there is not a duly elected president, and therefore he is president. So and he's not just... I mean, some would say he's pulling out of a hat, but he's yeah. not... I mean, there is some basis to what he's saying. So this is this is interesting. Now, Guaido, Guaido, is no strident capitalist, right? From what I from what I understand, he is left to the center, but just not all the way. Not Maduro. Not Maduro or Chavez. Or Chavez. Uh, even so, there are some people that have taken exception to the administration's recognition of this individual as the true president of Venezuela. Uh, some people here in the in the, in the American press, uh, I've read commentators like Noah Feldman and others, uh, take issue with this, saying it's not constitutional for him to do this and, and what have you. Um, and yet, I sit there and take a look at it, going, what is the what is the appropriate response in a situation like this for the United States, being the lone, I mean, being a superpower, right. and certainly we can make an argument that maybe China is, and to a lesser degree, Russia, but certainly in the Western Hemisphere. The United States is the imperial power. Right. How should it respond to what has become not just an economic but a humanitarian crisis in Venezuela? Should it recognize someone else besides Maduro as the president and therefore hope to force Maduro out? It's tricky. It's a tricky. It's a sticky wicket. It seems like there's a lot of cognitive dissidence between some of the people that say with Israel to people that are opposed to Israel yet think it's unconstitutional for us to meddle at all in Venezuela. But, but the, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a, it's a fine point. I mean, we're making a fine point about it, what have you. However, I want to kind of, kind of take it back from politics to economics. Ultimately, in this situation, it is such an economic mess that I truly do think that the United States has some sort of moral obligation. Right to fellow Americans, if nothing else. I mean, not you know, U.S. Americans, but Americans in the sense of, you know, Western. Sure. Hemisphere. I mean, the dollar is impacted by the global yes. economy. Without it's a hard doubt, to argue to do something about this because what the Chavistas have done in Venezuela have taken over pretty much all forms of production, all the capital in the country. They put in price controls. Uh, while I mean, to take to take a look at Maduro, Maduro had missed a meal. He hasn't. He hasn't missed a meal at all. It's funny how that works. Yeah, isn't that weird? He's flying around private, private, private jets. The military's uh, running the country. These people look fat and happy. Uh, so, so what we've what they have done is taken the money away from the traditional business class in Venezuela and just simply kept it to themselves. And so this seems to be what happens. Although in theory, going back to economic theory, the Chavistas wanted to take from the super rich and give it to the poor. And this is what people like, you know, what's oh, I don't know. Elizabeth Warren, when she's talking about putting a 2% tax on the wealth of people with excess of $50, 50 million on their balance sheet, you know, she's saying this blah, blah, blah. This is fair, fairness. Never mind the fact she has $8 million net worth or thereabouts. She, she targeted 50, 50. And then we have our new friend, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, talking about a 70% marginal tax rate on incomes in excess of $10 million. Yep. While these are not the same thing as what Venezuela has done, but they do have something, one common thread, and that is the using the power of government to forcibly redistribute wealth. 
and I'm just trying to find Sam a, a, an instance in history where this has worked out well. I don't know of one. I really I, don't. Where I can't think of one. Worked out well, and by well, I'm not talking about maybe some some improvements in some industries or what have you. I'm talking about well for general society without being littered with with bodies, and I just simply can't find one. Can't either. So I'm, I get I get very confused when I sit there and take a look at I see just throughout history and in Venezuela contemporary even in Zimbabwe a little bit lesser example but in every instance where the government has tried to forcibly redistribute wealth it never turns out well it always leads to some kind of societal distress and economic dislocation and yet increasingly I'm hearing more and more as we mentioned last week about schemes in order to do just that so it makes you it begs the question is it the theory is it i mean people are going to say oh they did this wrong i mean they've all said that to each other you know stalin yeah. Mao, all that yeah. they like parts of it but they would do this or that differently yeah. that's kind of the same argument with a lot of this oh you're looking at the bad parts of it the things yeah. they did wrong but at what point with a zero percent success rate does it become the whole theory is an issue well you bring up a wonderful point um lenin didn't think marx went far enough Mao didn't think Lenin went far enough. Well, because you, you can't say, oh, we're going to do the exact same thing and, they did. And Pol Pot didn't think that Mao went far enough. With each example, the body count got larger and larger. And so what you're absolutely right. At what point, you know, the theory and abstract and the differences between that theory and abstract and, and the theory and practice, at what point do you go, the theory is just broken? And unfortunately, with socialism and communism, people just can't seem to get there because the appeal is social. It's almost like catnip. We're gonna have this equal society where everyone's equal equality. It's easy of to outcomes. understand. It's, it's a easy to understand. Digest and it sells and, well. Yeah. Uh, automatically, you're gonna have 50% of the population, or 49.9% of the population, are gonna be automatically attracted to it, and that's people that are below the median. Mm-hmm. You know, automatically. So you're gonna have a willing ear right there. But let's, let's talk about theories in the abstract. M- imagine you have a cat. you have a cat? I don't. Will you I did ever, have a cat. Did you have a cat? Don't think I'll have another one. Um, cats, as you well know, are obligate carnivores. I mean, they have to have meat. You know, meat, uh, animal protein is a dense way of getting protein. Cats need it. It's just they're part of their DNA. Physiology. They have to have it. What so if no I vegan cats? So, so well, what if I were to sit there and say, you know, Sam, I, I think I think meat is murder. You need to um, you need to feed your cat rice and soy based products. Some tofu. And, and and you go along with it and you go, okay, the first cat gets uh, I don't know, loses a bunch of weight and dies. I didn't feed it enough. You didn't feed it enough, so you feed it even more rice. That cat gets sick and expires as well. <laughs> So you decide that this time you're going to feed it rice with with uh, turkey, not turkey gravy, but like a you know like a milk gravy, and this cat also gets sick. At what point do you sit there and say maybe the theory's not right? You know, now obviously that's a very silly example with the uh, with with the cat and eating eating rice products, and there are people probably at PETA.com screaming and yelling saying it can be done. However, most veterinarians would say that it couldn't. Well, I think the problem is people are always coming up with a shiny new reason of why it's different. You know, it's not the same argument of why it didn't work the time before. It's, oh, but now we're going to do this. 
and yet here we have in in glaring We're on our pr- in glaring twentieth cat now. And <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm laughing about that. <laughs> we have in glaring proof the collapse of an economy and collapse of a society not that far away from us, which we used to be one of the I mean their major trading partners, and we still are. We see we see it firsthand. We're their biggest trading partner. Yes, we are. We see it firsthand what happens when government takes over the controls of production and capital in an economy, the society collapses. It's in glaring proof. And yet there's still people that want to apologize for it. Still say, yeah, they they didn't do it correctly. Because they think we're inherently maybe nicer people or better people or smarter people what that's it's, it's got to be that's racist we <laughs> can't know. say that but that's why that's why people that's why people think that we can do it better i think at a minimum that's arrogant yeah definitely. so there you have it so everyone's arrogant <laughs> socialists are arrogant <laughs> wrap that up nice and clean <laughs> And with that, guys, I'm not sure exactly what we've accomplished here today on Trading Perspectives other than to shed light on what is truly a horrible situation down in Venezuela. I mean, people literally are starving. People are leaving that country en masse, and it all has to do with one basic thing, economics. And time and time again, when we see that the government takes over the control of production and capital in a country, bad things happen. We have to be very careful as a society not to get to that point, just simply under the belief that we're going to do it better than they are. Yep. That we've, we've noticed what they've done wrong, and we're just going to do a little bit better. It doesn't matter. Everywhere it's tried, ultimately it fails and collapses upon itself. You know, I like the saying, you know, once you're in a hole, you can't really dig yourself out of it. I like it. Pretty good stuff. So, Sam, we're going to close here by saying I would imagine your weekend is going to be a lot more fun. More fun, less action than some of the people down in Venezuela. <laughs> There'll be a lot of action yeah. trying to find food and money. Right. And um, just protesting. I and mean, pro- billions. So there you have it. It's going to be a lot more fun. Hope so. I hope Plan so for you, it. too. So, guys, thank you all so much for listening. We always love to hear from you all. So if you have any questions or comments, always let us know. You can send us an email to tradingperspectives at oakworthcapital.com, or you can leave us a review on the podcast outlet of your choice. If you're interested in hearing more of what we have to say, you can check out our blog, Common Sense at oakworthcapital.com, underneath the Thought Leadership tab. As always, if you like what you hear at Common here at, uh, at Trading Perspectives, by all means, tell your friends, neighbors, and loved ones of the good stuff that you've heard. If you don't like what you've heard today, by all means, tell people that you don't like. Just in any event, get out there and spread the good word about us. So with that, Sam, you got anything else here today? That's all I got. Well, that's all I've got today, too. Thanks for listening. Y'all take care.